All right, Jason, so here's my idea. Two doors open up and you're sitting in a steamy hot bath and then you like get out and you're naked and you're crawling across the floor <laughs> and you're looking at me in this like seductive kind of way. Yes, okay, but why are we doing this for a podcast? Who's anything but a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Windows crack. <laughs> what? Yeah, okay. Who said anything about Windows crack? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, and welcome to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast with your co hosts, James D. Graves and Jason Colvin. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. We are here for the Prince Sign of the Times portion of our two part episode Sign of the Times versus Joshua Tree by U2. I am pumped about this comparison. This is going to be major because these albums in 1987 are considered to be the best of these iconic artists. Absolutely, yeah. The and that's it's really interesting because I am a Prince fan, but I was not a Sign of the Times fan. But Sign of the Times, even though it wasn't as successful as Purple Rain, it's considered his best piece by most reviewers, right? I know, right? And and I'm with you. For me, before we dove into this, Purple Rain was my go-to, yeah. one of the best albums of the 1980s. Yep. A- absolutely top of the heap for me. I knew the hits on this one, but for us to take a deep dive in this has been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm anxious to hear what you think. We've got a lot of songs to cover. I, I hope you'll stick around and, and join us on this journey. We're going to talk about each song. We'll talk a little bit about the history of Prince and his discography and what was happening right before Silent Times came out. Yeah, and this is an iconic moment for me and you because this is the first time we've been recording in the same room I know. since we did our Coming to America versus Trading Places episode. Uh-huh. This is this is a huge deal. I mean, COVID hit and all of a sudden Zoom was the way that we handled things i know right um but because of my mess ups in various areas we're we're here in the same room recording together and i'm glad to be back together this yeah good to see you much better much better way to do things okay so are we ready to jump into sign of the times let's do it man okay so we got we typically start with the history of the artist in this portion but prince was a very shy kind of reserved was not out there giving his story to a bunch of people. And so there's not a whole lot out there about him as a young man. Right. He was the son of a singer and a musician. Jazz, both of them, Mm -hmm. right? Both gifted musicians, known really as a child prodigy. His mom and dad were in a trio, a jazz trio, called the Prince Nelson Trio. Okay. Because he was named after his dad. But he didn't really... Junior. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't really like the name Prince. And so everybody who went to school with him growing up called him Skipper because he liked the name Skipper. And I'm just like, you had the choice between Prince and Skipper. (laughs) Really? You want Skipper? Okay. All right. 
Okay. So he grew up in Minneapolis. Yes. And he just loved, he loved the town. He really did. Yeah. But the other side effect of growing up in Minneapolis as a young man of color is he didn't really get a whole lot of exposure to music beyond what was just on the basically one radio station they had up there, which was a whole lot of rock as opposed to Motown and rhythm and blues and that kind of thing. And he got those things from the record stores, but he and the other guys who grew up with him, who also became kind of well-known musicians, they were listening to Led Zeppelin. They were listening to Jimi Hendrix. They were listening to all of the 70s rock bands Mm -hmm. of the day. And so that had obviously a profound influence on the way that he played. I know he's a big fan of the Beatles and Joni Mitchell. He grew up playing music, just teaching himself how to play various instruments. And unfortunately, his dad left when he was very young, like eight years old, and his mother remarried. His stepdad took Prince to a James Brown concert. And it was it had this profound influence. Like he got to get up on stage. And then like as he walked backstage, he saw all the dancing girls right. and the musicians and how James Brown kind of controlled the musicians right. and how the dancing girls interacted with James Brown. And like for he was 10 years old at the time. And this was like a huge pivotal moment in his life. And he's like, I can see my future. I know the two things that I'm going to do. I'm going to run a band and I'm going to have dancing girls. (laughs) So he started learning instruments and he started, his first band was called Grand Central. Okay. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, at some point they, they said, Hey, you know, you should come to the studio. Would you like to come to the studio and see how that goes? The Warner brothers guys came to listen to him and they're like, let's sign him up. I heard that they fall in love with his abilities. They want to sign him to a record deal. They bring in Prince and they, they say, we think we've got a producer for your first album. It's one of the guys in earth, wind and fire. Maurice White. Maurice White. Yeah. Which for a 19 year old kid, who, I mean, Earth, Wind, and Fire? Are you kidding? Yeah. I mean, Sign me was- up. And Prince says, no, thanks. I'm not going to turn this over to anybody else. I'm going to produce myself. Right. And they're like, you're a 19-year-old kid. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I want to produce. And they saw something in his eyes. And so they came in. First day, they're like, okay, we want to see what you can do before we agree to let you produce the album. Right. So he comes in. He sits at the board for a second, then he goes in, lays down the guitar track. Perfect. Messes with the board, goes, lays the drum track down. Perfect. Goes, messes with the board, lays the bass down. Perfect. And they're like, okay, we can see that you can handle this. And he's like, no, wait. Yeah. I really want to show you. And they're like, no, you're good. You can do it. He's like, no, wait, you're going to see what I can do. And then lays down every instrument. And before he could get to the voice, you're just like, okay, we get it. You're a genius. We'll go now. Have fun with your album. Okay, D. So they get him in the in the studio. He is producing his first album called For You. It comes out in 1978. It's released on April 7th, 1978. So he's still 19 years old. So Prince's music from the beginning is about either sex or God. 1979 comes along. He doesn't waste any time. Back in the studio. Boom. Another album, 1979. Okay. So 1979, he comes out with an album called Prince. And song he made off of that, I Want to Be Your Lover. It's kind of his first well-known Kinda hit it. out yeah. of the gate. Right? Right. And then how about this song?
so he did that back then and then then Shaka Khan did that in 1985 right it's like a number one hit in 1985 so after his second album he's got his stage act down a little bit better he goes to perform and then he gets an invitation in 1979 to go on to American Bandstand with Dick Clark for the first time <laughs> and it's interesting to see his performance back then because he's doing some kind of silly dancing it was not the coordinated pop and lock amazingness that he had uh-huh. is a little goofy okay. but okay. you know you know he's on the american bandstand so he's already hit one level of success right sure and then what were you doing at 20 years old right yeah <laughs> yeah i was quitting college that's <laughs> <laughs> so then dick clark comes to interview him after his set after his <laughs> song and he totally locks up like uh, he's got total stage fright and dick clark is like so i've heard you know you play a lot of instruments how many do you play and it's like silence <laughs> awkward long silence and like as he's about to answer dick clark puts the microphone back and he's like we're be with you in just a minute here and he's like thousands uh, <laughs> uh, and he just he freezes up. He just panicked because suddenly he realized, oh my gosh, millions of people are listening to what I'm about to say. And he's not, it's not this well-oiled practice machine. It's, I'm speaking from the hip and he wasn't ready for it. But after that, he said, that will never happen again. Wow. Yeah. He turned into Garth Algar. <laughs> <laughs> I like to play. <laughs> <laughs> 1980, Dirty Mind comes out. Yeah. I had a friend at my church who carried this tape around with him all the time. Okay. And he got in trouble for doing that, which, you know, at church, having Prince, Dirty Mind. Okay. So, I mean, Prince had a lot of really graphic, porno For the time, right. Yeah, lyrics. Yeah, for sure. We want to talk about those lyrics or no? Oh, go for it. You want to tell me? No, better not. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, family friendly. Yeah. Family friendly. So your friend had this tape and he got in trouble for carrying it around all the time? Well, it was, you know, it was on the uh, confiscate whenever you find it list. How many songs did Prince have on the Filthy 15? Was Prince it? had Sugar Walls, which Sheena Easton uh-huh. played. Yeah. Uh, he had Darling Nikki from Purple Rain. Oh, yeah. And then what was the other one? He had three. Magazine. What? Sorry. <laughs> he had three. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what the third one was when we yeah. covered the Filthy 15. Yeah. Flashback to our ACDC episode. Right. Right. 1981 comes around. You've got controversy. Let's just paint the picture a little bit, okay? It's after the first or second album, he had come to his band and said, you guys need to find a character or personality. My character is going to be sex. Okay. Quickly moving on past controversy. We could do a podcast in each one of these. Yeah. We're just grazing through these. So my first time, the first time that I saw Prince was... I can remember this. This I've told my first boobies story because it was in California, but it was 1983. Uh We are are driving out to California. Okay. And I can remember going into the hotel room, turning on the TV, and seeing Prince and the Revolution singing 1999 and thinking, wow, this is different. I've never seen anything like this before. And it was... Shocking and amazing, and I loved it. At, at seven years old, I was like, "Wow, this is pretty cool stuff." 
So 1999 is where I jump on board. Yeah. Nineteen ninety nine is such a great pop song, but the subject matter made it the song of the millennium. He had to see that coming. I mean, you know, I don't even know what to call it. But the mean, millennium, right? Right. I mean, he's he's singing the song what, like seventeen years, sixteen years before the year that he's singing about, and it's about kind of this Armageddon apocalypse kind of idea, but. He has to know this song is going to, and when 1999 rolls around, this song's going to be big again. And it was. Oh, for sure. And it was. And the video for that song, I mean, it's just them on stage, but he, his dance moves have moved from mediocre to phenomenal. Right. Also off of 1999, you have Little Red Corvette. Yeah, which is another fantastic. Huge song. Huge. And so American. So, I mean, it's just... Yeah, that's great. I love it. Okay, so we're blowing and going. Right. Now then, he comes to Warner Brothers and says, I think I want to be in a movie. Mm. (laughs) Right? Right. I want to write and star in a movie, and I also want to write the soundtrack. Right. And they're like... Well, we like 1999 and all, but are you sure you're ready for the movies? Right. No, trust me, I've got this great story. It's kind of semi-autobiographical, and let's do it. So, that movie is Purple Rain. Now, there's two things to talk about. There's the movie, and there's the album. Right. And we're not here to talk about either one of those today. Right. But we can't avoid it either. Oh, 100%. Yeah. No, it is... Wait, wait, wait. Before we talk about it, go ahead. You really need to purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Purple Rain might be the best album in the 1980s. I mean, it's argue it's arguably it's in the story. I it's, mean, it's in the it's it's in the lineup for sure. It, yes. There's no question about that. I mean, Prince was not a megastar at this time. This this movie is the thing that made him a megastar. But somehow, by the time this movie comes out, by the time this movie is released, and I, you know, they had the album come out first. That was brilliant on their part, obviously. Right. But by the time this movie comes out, it was an event. I mean, you had superstars showing up for the premiere of Purple Rain. But you have the song When Doves Cry come out that summer. Right. Turned out to be the song, the biggest hit of 1984. I mean, we could go on and on. You've got Let's Go Crazy. You've got Purple Rain. You've got I Would Die For You, uh, Darling Nikki. I mean, you've got all these wonderful, wonderful songs. So he's at the absolute zenith of his popularity. This is one of the few times in history that an artist has had a number one movie, a number one album, and a number one song all at the same time. <laughs> that's the a good last, run, man. The time that it happened before that was A Hard Day's Night with the Beatles. Oh, and that's, all right, yeah. That's a, that's, a, that's a pretty incredible accomplishment. What an amazing summer. Right. Okay, so coming off of this explosion in popularity and personal achievement you roll into 1985 and you've got an album that comes out and it's called around the world in a day right more psychedelic he's completely changed the way he's doing things purple rain was a significant different significantly different sound than what had come before except maybe 1999 1999 1984 
there was a change in the way that he had done stuff. His albums from the seventies were much more funky. There was, there was a bit more of a disco feel, which made sense. Right. I mean, sure. But he really dove into the rock scene with 1999 and purple rain. And that brought a whole new audience to his shows. Then when we, when he moves from purple rain into around the world in a day, it's another different sound. It is. It's definitely got a Beatles influence. You, you bring in the sitar. You've got some Indian type of feels to it. You do have two big hits off that album. You have Raspberry Beret and a song called Pop Life. So that album comes out and it's a disappointment. Raspberry Beret, big hit. But after that, not, not a lot of sales and certainly nothing compared to Purple Rain. Right. Okay. So that's 85. 1986 comes around and he says, I'm going to do another movie. And this time I'm going to direct Okay. Now then, for this podcast, the I rented and watched Under the Cherry Moon. You made a significant sacrifice, and I honor you in that okay. sacrifice. Here's the thing. Let me just <laughs> let me just talk about this for just a second. Okay. Okay. It was an hour and forty minutes of beating. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but here's what you got. You got Prince in his prime. You've got the bad guy from Beverly Hills Cop, Rambo, and Octopussy. We talked about him. Oh, right. Uh, Stephen Burkhart. Stephen Burkhart. There we go. You've got Kristen Scott Thomas and her opening movie. She looks gorgeous. Okay. Right. And then at different points in the movie, whenever he sings and performs, Uh he's spectacular. So, Under the Cherry Moon bombs. Critics kill it. It cherry bombs. It cherry bombs. (laughs) And nobody went to see it. So the album that goes along with Under the Cherry Moon is called Parade. Yeah. There's a song on there that I personally love. It's called Mountains. One of my favorite Prince songs. But the song that everybody knows is Kiss. Right. Pretty Woman. Julie Roberts sings it in... Very, very famous. Number one hit, actually won won the Grammy in 1986 for Best R&B Song. Okay. Okay? Yep. But still, Under the Cherry Moon Bombs, Parade as an album, not well received. Right. And it's not like he's not doing good stuff then. It's just not he's not doing good stuff for himself. So he's got two, we'll call it three disappointing events that may make people wonder if Purple Rain is just kind of a shooting star. Right. Now, keep in mind, Dee, I just want to point out, 1979, 80, 81, 82, 84, 85, 86, he puts out an album almost every year. Yeah. And just very, very prolific artist. Right. So you get to 1987, and you say to yourself, well, maybe he's out of music. No. False. (laughs) That is not true. That's not the problem. He has three albums that he wants to put out in 1987 all at once. Right. So Jimmy Jam was a part of The Time, which was one of Prince's side projects. And Jimmy Jam said, just just speaking to his work ethic, he said he would come and rehearse The Time for four hours or something, you know, just making sure that they were flawless. Then he would go rehearse 
with the revolution himself. And then he'd go and go to the recording studio by himself and just write these amazing songs. And he'd show up the next morning to work with the time again. And he's like, oh, hey, listen to this. And they're like, when did you make this? He's like, oh, last night. He's like, yeah. Do you sleep, man? Yeah. You just, you're nonstop workaholic. So he just, like I said, Minneapolis, you didn't have stuff to go do because it's cold. So you just, he holed up and made amazing music. A lot of it. Extremely prolific. A lot of it. Yes. Yeah. So there's three things we got to talk about as we enter 1987. This, to me, was fascinating. There's an album called The Dream Factory that he had been working on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And The Dream Factory was a project that he had worked on with The Revolution. Yep. And it was just a, as you went, you collected these odds and ends songs, and then he would collect enough of them to have them on an album. This is the album that he was really, he had a lot more of Lisa and Wendy being a part of the writing of the music that was going to be in this album. Right. At the same time, he's collecting songs for the Dream Factory. He's also collecting songs for an album called Camille. And we talked briefly about this in our George Michael episode. Mm -hmm. Camille is an album. Once again, he makes so many songs. He sings so much that he had grown tired of hearing his voice naturally. Right. And so he would speed it up. You'll notice on You Got the Look and If I Were Your Girlfriend. So that you have this Camille album. And then you have this triple album called Crystal Ball. Right. He was dating and ultimately engaged to Susanna Melvoin, who was the twin sister of Wendy Melvoin, who yep. was his guitarist, right? Yeah, yeah. Wendy Melvoin came on whenever Des left the band because Des had gotten very religious yep. and wasn't really cool with all of the sex stuff that was going on with Prince at the time. Right. And so she's his guitarist. He ends up dating her sister. They become close. They're living together. They're engaged to be married. And so she's a part of building Paisley Park, which is this compound that he has where he's not only going to have his own recording studio, he's going to have his own clothes making manufacturer. I mean, he's doing it where he gets, he has everything in one spot. And so she, you know, she's in there like a new wife, like decorating the place and doing this stuff. And she ends up painting this mural of this crystal ball on the wall. And that is what the inspiration for the album Crystal Ball is. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. So he has Dream Factory, which he ultimately says, "Ah, nah. And Camille, which had a cover image and a catalog number. It wasn't like this is just a doink around project. No. This was a press records. Yeah. There were some press records of Camille. Then he came up with this triple album mm-hmm. called Crystal Ball. Yep. And he takes it into the record executives mm-hmm. and he says, Hey guys, here you go. This is my epic masterpiece, Crystal Ball. And they listened to it and they were uncomfortable with the length and they weren't blown away. Right. And Prince had had free reign on what he was doing. Like he was given complete creative freedom in Mm -hmm. all albums up until this point. And keep in mind, this is after the failures of Around the World in a Day and Parade. Right. And so the executives are like, this is, we can't have a triple album. Mm -hmm. We have to charge 40 bucks for it. Right. Sales will be in the tank and we can't do this. And they don't know how to tell him because they've given him all this freedom. So they're like, okay, we just need to carefully break it to him. Uh We don't want him to know what we're going to say. Carefully break it to him. All right. Right. And so they call 
and he won't he won't answer their phone call. And then he has somebody call them back. And so they're waiting on the phone. And as soon as he picks up the phone, he says, so I hear you don't like my album. Right. <laughs> right. And the guy tries to backtrack and he's like, well, that's, that's not really the case. And I, right. I believe him. Yeah. It's not that he didn't like the album. It's just too long. Too much. Too much. And so he said, we got to cut it back. The record executive said to himself, we'll appease him. We'll make it a double. Right. Not a triple, a double. Right. He doesn't know what Prince's reaction is at this point, other than he's he's mad. He's mad. And so in preparation, they're like, okay, I guess you know, maybe we should pick the best two albums worth of songs and we'll bring it to him. And they do that. And he calls and Susan Rogers, his engineer, answers the phone. And they're like, hey, um, we need to talk to Prince. And she says, well, you can't talk to him right now. He's been up all night editing the album down because you guys didn't want all That's of these right. songs. That's so he had already started. He's like, he's obviously mad, but he's just like, oh, just going to do it. Just yep. going to beat him to the bunch. Cut a third of my baby and, you know, cut it off. So he takes Crystal Ball, wills it down. Yep. And that becomes Sign of the Times. Yeah. The other thing of importance is while this stuff is going on, there's a problem with the revolution. Yeah, we really need to back up and talk about that. He had been working on Dream Factory with Wendy and Lisa, and there were definitely songs that were coming about there. But then the band started to have some concerns about how much money they're getting paid. I mean, they're a huge driving force behind what he's doing. And yes, he's the one with the work ethic. And yes, he's the one that's brought him to this point, And he's the obvious genius and artist. But they're like, hey, there's a lot more money coming in, but we're still making the same amount of money that we were back in 1981. Right. And so we you know, like to talk to you about maybe, and that made him furious. Yeah, it did. And so they are on their parade tour. Mm-hmm. You know, they're getting some bad vibes from him initially. And then for their last show, he destroys his cloud guitar on stage. And they're looking at each other. And, you know, this is not like the who, you know, breaking their instruments. They can tell he is pissed. Yeah. And they turn to each other and we're, they're like, we're fired. We're, yep. we're fired. And they were right. Yep. They were fired. They still don't really understand what went wrong, but asking for more money did not sit well. Right. And it just caused tension and he just wanted to change. Yeah. And they got the boot. When he talked to them, he was like, I, I need to go places that you guys can't follow me on. And they're like, well, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, crotchless panties and nippleless bras. And I'm like, what? I mean, we've we've reached the stage that we are artists. We don't need to do that. Give me attention stuff anymore. Well, plus he had some his other band projects. One of them lost their singer, and so he brought in a horns player, a couple of horns players, and yeah. And so it, the band was morphing into something different. So anyway, Doctor Fink is the only member of the Revolution that comes to be a part of the new band. The drama and the changing of parts and the evolution of the band and the firing of the revolution and all these songs and the fight with the record company and you have all this drama and disruption and failure and it brings (coughs) us to the doorstep of Sign of the Times. Let's talk about the album cover. Okay, let's talk about the album cover. So the album cover is shot by Jeff Katz, who's a famous photographer, especially for musical artists. Okay. And he goes in and they've got this stage kind of set up. You know, if you did you watch Sign of the Times, the movie? 
I did. You are a trooper. Yes. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be sitting in the same room with you watching <laughs> these movies that I like. I watched, I didn't get through the first song on Sign of the Times. I'm like, okay, I got, <laughs> I got other things to be doing right now. So, anyway, they've got this kind of weird stage set up and they've done a bunch of shooting with Jeff Katz of all these photos. And Prince just, I mean, they're wrapping it up and they're leaving. And Prince says to Jeff, he's like, wait, take one more picture. And Jeff Katz is like, you know, you're not going to be in focus center right there. And Prince says, yeah, I know. He says, okay. Takes the picture, develops it, brings it to him. Prince is completely out of focus and you've just got this mess of a stage behind him. And he says, that's it. That's the album cover. Okay. Before we dive into the album, I just got one more. Okay. One more thing to say. What you got? So, this album, as we said, is significantly different and it has a whole lot more jazz elementation to it than the other albums that he has, which is interesting because as we discussed before, both his mom and his biological dad were jazz musicians, right? Right. Miles Davis ended up on stage with Prince on the sign of the Times tour, right? Yeah, yeah. And so he's he's excited that he's got his parents in the audience, but... The other aspect of Prince's personality is that he is this incredibly competitive guy, right? We know this, the Michael Jackson history, like he's up there playing. When Michael Jackson comes to see his show, he'll go and like play the bass in his face. When Michael Jackson would come to his house, he would beat the pants off of him in ping pong <laughs> and, and basketball. You know, it was just, he's such a competitive guy and he has to prove that he's the best. And so knowing that Miles Davis is about to come on stage with him, he's thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess with him. I'm going to totally screw him up, right? I'm going to change. I'm going to give the band the cue that they're supposed to change. I'm going to change in the middle and see if he's really still got it. Because, I mean, he's Miles Davis has been doing this for years and years, right? right? Right. And so they're up on stage. He's excited because his parents are excited, but he's ready to establish that he's the man and Miles Davis is just, you know, we'll see. Right. And so... He's, he all, you know, middle of the song, all of a sudden he gives the band the cue to change what they're doing. And the band is so in awe of Miles Davis and just staring at him that they completely miss Prince's cue. (laughs) And it doesn't work at all. Prince is like, what, what? You know, he's just frustrated and angry on stage because they, his trick didn't work. And, and. (laughs) <laughs> All the band is just, you know, enamored of Miles Davis. And, and so it's a, a failed attempt to, to establish that he is the, the rock king. That's funny. Yeah. Our buddy Pat Canigala would be very proud of you in your jazz story. Our, oh, yeah. our friends at the 30-something movie podcast, when you get out done with this, go check them out. They're good friends over there. Yeah. Check out the Misery episode. It is amazing and disturbing and wonderful all at the same time. Are we ready? I think we're ready to actually jump into the album at this time. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. All right. So the first song in the album is Sign of the Times. Oh, yeah. Sign of the Times. This song was released February 18th, 1987. This is the first single. It was originally on Dream Factory. It reached number three in the U.S. Hot 100, but it was number one on the R&Bs. So Prince is at Sunset Sound in L.A. And while he's there with his fiancée, Susanna Melvoin, yeah. there's an earthquake. That earthquake didn't sit well with him. Yeah. And so he felt like the world is in peril right now. You know, this earthquake really set him off. And so he went out and got a copy of the newspaper. 
And on the July 13th, 1986 copy of the LA Times, yeah. the headlines were AIDS epidemic out of control. Star Wars leads all defense costs. Yeah. New AIDS findings to alert the world at risk. And then he got a copy of the Star Tribune for the Minneapolis. Yeah. Murder trial by a gang called the Disciples. And so he took all of these things plus the Challenger explosion. Right, right. Do you and remember what you were doing? I was in my class. I was in my math class. Yeah. And we watched it live in school. Yeah. Kids were watching it live. I had gone to do something and I saw it through the window and another class happened. Yeah. Yeah. So he had all these events and kind of swirl of problems in the world and he just got to work on it on a Sunday. And by Wednesday, he had completed the song, lyrics, music, everything. When a rocket ship explodes and everybody still wants to fly Yeah, so do you know what the name of the song is based on? So he was a Seventh-day Adventist, and they have a magazine that's called Sign of the Times. Yes. And so he, you know, he said he recorded this on a Sunday. Susan Rogers said that that would be his most contemplated, like he recorded most of his songs on Sunday because it was his most contemplative time. And obviously, I mean, this is... The lyrics in this song are much more poignant than most of his work up until this point, right? It's not Darling Nikki. Right. I mean, it's not let's go crazy. It's, no, it, it's it's talking about the tra- you know the tragedies that are going on in the world right now and some amazing tragedies too. And the the video, yeah. It completely focuses on the lyrics. Yeah. I mean, there's no prints in the Just video. Words. There's no band in the video. It's yep. all words going, scrolling by so that you you have to focus on the words. Yes. Sammy Hager would have been proud. <laughs> That's right. So on the single, you have a giant black heart being held up by Cat Glover, who was his dancer. Right. Okay. So Cat Glover, just since we're bringing her up for the first time. Uh-huh. Cat Glover got her fame from Star Search from a dancing routine that she did with somebody named Patrick. It was called Cat and Pat. Everybody would talk about how much Prince looked like Cat Glover. And at, <laughs> at some point she did she did a few of the album covers, but, but one of them, she really, really looks like him. And she gets a call from Prince's dad who says, It was this cover. Yes. She says, please tell me that's you on the cover of this album. She's like, yeah, that's me. He's like, oh, thank goodness. I thought my son had completely lost his mind. (laughs) The heart is covering her face. Yeah. And so it would be possible for Prince to be dressed in drag behind his hiding the space behind this heart. So this song really dives deep into uh, issues of the day. You have AIDS. You have gangs. You have drugs. You have the Challenger explosion. What do you think of this song? You like it? So it's interesting musically. Like this is, a, I, I love this song. It's a great song, but 
very stripped down. It is. I mean, this is very when doves cry. He was using one of the Fairlight synthesizers, which was not unusual for the time. We talked about that with Def Leppard. Def Leppard, that was a big mutt-laying thing, was the, the Fairlight synthesizer. But what was unique about what he was doing was he was using the stock sounds, Musical artists are going to go adjust the delay and the ambience and the reverb and get the sound that they exactly want. And he was just like, nope, just going to use the stock sounds that come out of the synthesizers. So that makes that makes it another layer of the uniqueness. And then he does something in this song, and then it kind of you see more of it in the other songs. And that is he's throwing off the melody and the rhythm a little bit. Like when he says... My cousin tried reefer for the first time. Now he's smoking horse. It's June. The rhythm is off. Like you expect the the rhyme to hit when he says horse, but then it's like delayed and he hits it's June, which is not what other people were doing at the time. They weren't throwing the rhythm of the melody off like that. He's not rapping. No. He is sort of talk singing. Yeah. It is interesting. It is stripped down. Huge hit. Spring of 87. Let's talk about the B-side on this one real quick, okay? Sure. So the B-side is a song called La 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 He He He. I gotta say, I'm sorry, I like this song better than probably 90% of Sign of the Times. Like oh, this, man. this song should have been on the album. This song is fantastic. It's ridiculous in the, the dog barking kind of rhythm that they have going on, but it's a fantastic song. I can't believe it didn't make it on the album. <laughs> but I'm glad they put it on the B-side. We done with Sign of the Times? Yeah. All right, let's move on. The next song is called Play in the Sunshine. Okay, so this song is not stripped down. This is that full, what you expect from Prince kind of song. I like it a lot. Oh, man. It, it's, it's fun. It's joyful. It's playful. This song reminds me of 1999, which is sort of this idea of tonight we're going to have fun. It doesn't matter what's going on in our lives. Tonight is for fun. Right. The piano in this sounds like a toy piano. You know what I'm talking about? Those yep. little... <laughs> right. So, and, and I love at the beginning, he's, he has that squeal. It's, he says, oh, doggies. Yeah, it's a good song. I like it. The intro has this kind of you know, ambient noise of if you were sitting out at a park somewhere, the sounds that you would be hearing. It's got kind of a Beatles White Album style about that. But yeah, good song. I enjoy it. I like how he interacts with his band a little bit. There's some back and forth. He says, drummer, and the drummer's like, some fun stuff that they do with the song, especially after the serious tone of Sign of the Times. Uh This is a full on fun. Let's not get too serious. Right. All right. So we both love playing the sunshine. Let's move on to the next song. It's called Housequake. Shut up already. Damn. So we're back to strip down again, right? Yeah. This kind of sounds like stomp or something. Yeah. With the rhythm that's going on. So what do you think? I like it. I don't like it as much as playing the sunshine and sign of the times, but it's right. good. It's it's funny. You've got that sped up voice, that Camille voice, right? Yeah. It was originally intended to be on the Camille album. It was on the Camille album. Right. That part at the beginning where it says, shut up already. Damn. <laughs> kind of funny, you know? Yeah. This was recorded the day that he fired the revolution. Wow. Yeah. 
and had to be inspired by the earthquake that he actually experienced, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So the music on this one, it's simple and not complex. I mean, it's just weird to me because we know that Prince is this incredible musician, but he's doing something with basically like three instruments. It's not right. It's not out there to wow you. No, this was considered to be the first single released of Sign of the Times. Why? That he liked it. He wanted it out there. Okay. But in my opinion, not in the top half of this album. No. But I like it. This song was born out of a jam session with the Bangles. Suzanne Hoff's Majors. Yep. Her movies. Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Does anybody know about the quake? Shut up already. Damn. Okay. You done with that one? Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get to a song called The Ballad of Dorothy Parker. Okay. So this one, the drum machine is obvious. Yes. That drum machine is unmistakable. It is the Lynn LM1 drum machine that has that totally 80s. This is what we're listening to in the 80s. Did you like this song? No. Wow. Okay. So this is one. I mean, this is a huge, like everybody loves this song. And you don't like it? No, I don't. I don't like it either. I, I don't get it. I mean, it's he's doing something very, very different. I'll say that, you know. And I I told you whenever we were talking about Michael Jackson that I was disappointed that when Michael Jackson, after five years from Thriller, comes out with Bad, which I just felt like was Thriller Part Two, and that Prince, you know, say what you will, he completely changed the way he was doing stuff. I mean, he's mixing funk he's mixing soul he's mixing psychedelic and pop and electro and rock and he's got all of these things going on and i'm not in love with this song sorry no in fact i read enough and had listened to enough that i felt a little browbeaten by people telling me how great it was yeah and i, I just couldn't i couldn't get there we're gonna get a lot of hate for what we're saying i'm sorry i'm sorry to all the prince fans out there who love the song got to be honest about how we feel this is just not my taste it's not me either yeah but i got a couple interesting things on this okay go ahead. all right yeah so despite the fact that neither one of us enjoy this song dorothy parker is a mid 20th century writer known for her wit that's who dorothy parker is prince just chose a name that he thought sounded cool this was the first song recorded at paisley park okay mm-hmm. so he and susan rogers are working in the studio He's anxious to get going. This is a time in his life when he could, couldn't could go one day without recording some type of music. And the sound system had set up at his new house and he was wanting to test it out and see how it went. And he asked the guy, is it ready? And the guy says, yeah, it sounds good. It's ready to go. And he's like, all right, great. And so he and Susan Rogers go through their this 24 hour marathon session where they're gonna record and refine the ballad of Dorothy Parker. Right. But the whole time she's listening, she's like, sounds crap. Right. S- sounds the board terrible. Is, the recording board is a huge influence on how the thing sounds. And they've got this brand new recording board and this right. brand new studio. And she's like, this sounds like we're underwater. Yep. And she's like, I-, I can hear it. I know he can hear it. He's gonna kill me. And think about working on it for 24 hours straight, but she did not have the freedom or didn't feel like she could say, hey, hold on a second. We got to call this off and do no. this tomorrow. No. She, she said, you do not interrupt Prince. That's right. If he's on a roll, you let him roll. Yep. And so that's why the sound is a little bit garbled on this song. I think she corrected most of it, but. Mm-hmm. Well, it gives it, I mean, it gives it a unique sound, which obviously that's what he's going for on this album. By the way, 
you were talking about Dorothy Parker being this famous writer, right? Yeah. You know he had no idea who she was when he wrote the song. <laughs> like, this, Eric Leeds is one of the guys from the family that he brought in to play the saxophone on a lot of these songs on this album. And so he hears it and he's like, wow, I had no idea that he knew who Dorothy Parker was. I'm super excited. And then he tells him and Prince is like, I just like the name. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> oh, lyrically, I don't know. Have you looked at the lyrics of this song? He talks about taking a bath with his pants on. Sure, why not? Because he's dating somebody else. Yeah. Sure, Dorothy, I'll take a bath with you. I'm just going to leave my pants on. One of his musicians talking about this song said, I've listened to this song now for 30 years, and I still can't tell what genre of music that is. Yeah. It's not our taste. Not our taste. All right. We're not smart enough for this song. It's over our hands. Congratulations to everyone else who is. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Okay. This is a spot where you flip the record over to the side two of right. record one. Right. On Sign of the Times. Yes. And it starts off with a song called It. All right, so once again, you get that obvious drum machine going on here, and there are very few fills in this song. And then once again, you've got that obvious Fairlight standard sound on the keyboards, and that's almost all you've got. I mean, obviously him singing too, but that's it for the song, and it's really repetitive. I, I like this one. Okay. I like this one. It creates a mood, and the, the repetition creates a mood. What do you love about it? Well, it's just, it's got a nice beat to it. Mm -hmm. He's really leaning into his vocals here, and I know he likes it. You know how I know he likes it? This song was on two versions of Dream Factory, uh -huh. on Crystal Ball, and made the final cut for Sign of the Times. Curiously, he, he likes to play with his lyrics a little bit. Yeah. So in, in the lyrics to this song, it is capitalized. Okay, yeah. So, I-T, every time it's mentioned, I want to do it all night long. Uh-huh. What it's, is it that he wants to do? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right? Yep. Okay, moving on. The next song, Starfish and Coffee. So, I'm glad we have the bell at the beginning of this to let us know that that other song is over. <laughs> <laughs> I really dig this song. It's just, it's fun. It, it's not typical of him at all. And uh, it's fascinating because it's based on a real person. It is. It's, uh, it tells the story of Cynthia Rose, who's actually a schoolmate of Susanna Melvoy. And would actually they would you know would you have for breakfast this morning is morning cynthia and she would say starfish and pee pee <laughs> <laughs> so prince you know took a little liberty with that because pee pee doesn't is not quite as marketable yes uh but starfish and coffee maple syrup and jam butterscotch clouds a tangerine and a side order of ham I mean, it really sounds like something that you would hear on Sesame Street. It's funny that you say that because he actually did a TV show called Muppets Tonight, where they uh, the Muppets, actually Rizzo the Rat comes to him, which 
We uh, love the Muppets. He says, where do you get the ideas for your songs, Prince? And he's like, actually, they make a joke because he can't pronounce his name. And he's like, oh, you can get it from anywhere. I can get it from this or that or this or that. And he's like, why don't you tell me what's on the menu today? And he writes a song based on what's on the menu called Starfish and Coffee. So Cynthia Rose was a autistic savant friend of Susanna and Wendy. Yeah. And uh, they asked her every day she'd come in, you know what I had for breakfast? Starfish and pee-pee. So, and so one day Prince came and said, you know, I've been thinking about that girl that you told me about. Write down everything. Was like, write it all down on a piece of paper. And so Susanna would write, she'd write the whole story down. Prince took that, wrote the lyrics to the song and actually gave Melvoin co-writing credit on this song. Love this song. This was originally on Dream Factory. Yeah. Makes me feel good listening to it. Oh, it's to. great. And the music is the music is cool. It's you've got this piano, you've got this backward guitar bit coming in, but it's not overwhelming. It's just subtle and kind of a nice little accent to the song. The playful lyrics that you have, it's it's a beautifully put together little song. It just makes you happy. Okay. Moving on to a song called Slow Love. Oh my gosh. This, I know this is great for some folks, but this is not my, I'm not into Barry White. I'm not into the slow lovemaking. No, I'm sorry. I know other people love it. Forgive me again. It's just not my, not my taste. There's some interesting things about this song that I want to talk about. Yeah, sure. But it's not my, it's not my thing either. Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, This was originally on Dream Factory. Back in the day when Prince, Prince would split time between Minneapolis and LA Mm -hmm. and he would get a hankering for a song and a hankering a hankering (laughs) so he's out in LA and he's like I want to work on Slow Love today Uh well the master is back in Minneapolis Uh and so he would he would call and say hey I need I need that ship to me Mm -hmm. well UPS is like next day Mm -hmm. well that's not that is not fast enough for him. Right. So he would have somebody drive it over the airport. They'd put it on an airplane, like the next flight, so it would be there in an hour. Right. And sometimes you'd have barbecue from yeah, Minneapolis. When he got it, when he got a hankering. When he got a hankering for barbecue. When he got a hankering for barbecue. He'd have that sent too. That's great. So he had this master tape manually airshipped to him, like in the next hour, so he can work. On it. Wendy and Lisa worked on this song with him again. This is before they were fired, but. <laughs> He co-wrote this song with a a woman named Carol R. Davis. Apparently, she was a friend of Prince's, but she is a actress and singer. Rumor was that she was dating Prince at the time, but uh, swears that they were just friends. All right, moving on. Moving on. That brings us to a song called Hot Thing. Hot Thing. Hot Thing. This song has that drum machine and that kind of repetitive melody behind it. I still, I like it better though. I like this song. It kind of is, gives us a taste of what's coming up on Bad Dance. It's got a very Bad Dance feel to me. You think so? Oh yeah, for sure. See, I would go the opposite. I would say this song belongs on Dirty Mind or Controversy. But, hey, that's what it feels like to you. Right. This is a stripper song. Hot thing. Hot thing, <laughs> stripper song. Sure. Uh, this song reached number 14 on the hot R&B chart. Not a, not a hot 100, but the R&B chart. Yeah. So it's a good one. 
I don't love it, but it's it's fun. So the next song is called Forever in My Life. So this one, I have to think that he wrote for Susanna Melvoin, right? Right. They were engaged. Right. It was supposed to, I mean, they were already living like they were married. He has made this decision to settle down with just one woman. And so I think that he wrote it for her. But what I love is that after he says, it makes me want to settle down, baby, it's true. I think I do. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if this has to be a firm decision or not. <laughs> but that's the way I'm leaning. I think it's funny when he played this for Susanna the first time. Yeah. He's like, I want to play this song for you. It's called Forever in My Life. Yeah. She's like, who's it about? <laughs> He's like, we're engaged. <laughs> That doesn't mean anything. Uh, yeah. You know? I know you. By the way, just because we didn't mention this before, when he fired her sister, she didn't stay engaged to him after that. It's a little hard. Yeah. Thanksgiving would be tough. Right. All right. Take that record off. Yep. Put it back in the sleeve. Pull out record two. Before we jump in. Yeah. Unlike many other albums that are double albums, this album was not a two pocket album. The records, the final, were in their own individual sleeves inside of the one pocket. The sleeves though had this cool these cool photographs of Prince and I think I think awesome Cat Lover was on the other one too. But so it's two records. Two records in one sleeve. In one sleeve. Okay. No, two records in one pocket, two sleeves. Two sleeves, Just, one pocket. That's confusing, but yes. I got gotcha. you. All right. Okay. All right, this is where I get excited, okay? Starting off, record two, you got the look. The way that it starts off in this kind of dreamy sound and then bam hits you in the face with the drums that is very cool very cool okay this song was a number two hit peaking at number two the week of october 17 1987 behind lost in emotion by lisa lisa cold james this is a duet with Sheena Easy. Right. And it's funny, when he called her, he said, Hey, I'd love for you to sing on this song I'm working on. Right. So he called her up. She came over. When she got there, she listened to it. She's like, well, this song's basically done. So she didn't know it was going to be a duet. So she just kind of sang the whole thing. And when he listened to it, she was kind of all over the place. He took his vocals and her vocals and constructed it into a, a duet. It was a back and forth in the World Series of Love. Boy versus girl, World Series of Love. Interestingly enough, the Minnesota Twins won the World Series in 1987. Nice. Thank you. Minnesota is important because that's where Minneapolis is. That's right. <laughs> In case you're not doing that geography thing, I had a little trouble. I had Why is that good? Okay, I get it. This is the third single released July 14th, 1987. Right. So Sheena Easton didn't know. I mean, at the time before the song came out, she had no idea if she was a backup singer, which she was pretty big at the moment, right? She, yeah, she, was. she was doing well. 
Uh-huh. But I started, I, so I, thought, I was like, well, why would she come over if she's only a backup singer? But then I remembered we talked about in the Motley Crue episode that freaking Steven Tyler and Brian Adams were singing backup on the Motley Crue songs. That's I guess, right. Yeah. All kinds of people with all kinds of fame don't mind coming to sing backup sometimes. Okay. I've got an interesting story about this song. Okay. Okay. This is going to blow your mind. Okay. So Prince had this female friend that loved particular radio songs that were pop friendly. She could not get enough of this one particular song I'm going to play for you here in just a second. Okay. And so Prince was certain that she just liked him because she was familiar with him, not because she really recognized or understood what it takes to make a good pop song. And so when he set out to write You Got to Look, he wanted to write the most radio friendly, most ear candy song to try and test this theory on her. But this is the song that she liked at the time. So she loved the song Addicted to Love by Robert Palmer. Right. And she could not help herself, but she would dance every time that song came on. Uh-huh. And he's like, you don't know what a good pop song is. <laughs> and so You Got the Look is based on Addicted to Love. Can we talk about the video? Heck yeah. So dreamy beginning makes sense because he's fallen asleep sitting in front of his makeup mirror, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he dreams the video basically. Right. And when the video starts, you've got Sheena Easton in this outfit that looks like what Prince would be wearing, right? <laughs> she's got the shoulder pointy shoulder pads. She's got the ruffled collar. And she's got her hair styled to the side, just like he did. Yeah, that's so right. it's this very, you're kind of confused about what's going on. And he's wearing a freaking fur coat. Right. Singing like Camille. It's this very confusing, lust-filled song. But I think they shot the video over two days. And so there's this weird, if you go back and watch the video, I don't know if you noticed this, but there's this weird part where they're singing back and forth. If you're looking at him, like, and it's a two shot and you're looking at her back, She's in that Prince outfit with the shoulder pads. But then when it shoots to her, she's in like a bra top. I mean, and, you've and got, a ponytail. And a ponytail. And you've got the cleavage and you're like, oh, hello. Yeah, I, I did notice that. Uh, this was shot over two days in Paris during the Sign of the Times tour. This one, MTV Best Male Video, was the 38th biggest hit of 1987. But this is the interesting thing about this song. Uh-huh. This track was recorded at the time he was shrinking Crystal Ball. Uh-huh. So this is the only song on Sign of the Times that was not on either Camille Crystal Ball or Dream Factory. This is how good he is. Oh, I've got all these songs. Oh, well, I've got another one. I'll just throw, it, throw yeah. together this massive hit. Oh, and it'll be a huge song for 1987. Sheena Easton and Prince. I mean, he wrote Sugar Walls for her. But on the Batman soundtrack, there's a song called Arms of Orion. Uh-huh. Love it. And it's a Prince Sheena Easton duet. Right. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it. So this song, in the video, you have Sheena Easton, obviously. Mm-hmm. You've got Sheila E. doing mm-hmm. her kind of acrobatic percussive thing. She looking good. She had, and by the way, she was one of those people that Prince wrote big hit songs for. Like her biggest hit was a song that he wrote. Glamour's Life. Yeah. Right. Um, And you've got Kat Glover as well doing her 
Catscat Amazing Dances. A couple of things on this. In the lyrics of this song, yeah. he talks about coloring it peach and black. Color you peach and black. the times tour was only in europe the european audiences were very involved audiences and so he encouraged them to come to the concert wearing either peach or black or both right based on this song susan rogers also his producer said this song was birthed out of one 48 hour session holy smokes two days no sleep don't stop him when he's on a roll all right next song if i was your girlfriend Second single released May 6th, 1987, originally on the Camille album. Only reached number 67 on the Hot 100 in the US, but this was a hit in the UK. 1987, the UK was going to be a little more accepting of a guy singing a song, If I Was Your Girlfriend, in a girl <laughs> voice. <laughs> right. This is interesting because he puts himself in the shoes of like Wendy and Lisa, like being a lover and a friend of, you know, like. If I was your lover and if I was your friend, would you come to me if someone broke your heart, even if it was me? Which is an interesting thing. You know, that's not something that other folks, I guess, tend to think about. This song, if you've ever seen the movie Striptease with Demi Moore and Burt Reynolds, <laughs> it always comes back to the strippers. Demi Moore <laughs> does a little dance to this song. Mm-hmm. A little dance. A particularly private dance for Burt Reynolds' character. He's so slimy in that thing, too. (laughs) Moving on to a song called Strange Relationship. This song I love. Hey, this song was originally on Dream Factory, then it went on Camille. He is using his Camille voice here. There's a lot of speculation about who this strange relationship is about. I can't stand to see you happy. Yeah, I hate to see you sad. Yep. Babe, all you and I, what's this strange relationship? Ship, ship. Okay. (laughs) So the original thought is that this was about Susanna Melvoin. Okay. Okay. Or maybe about Wendy or Lisa. Uh Uh-huh. But the truth is this song was created in 1983. Okay. This song is about vanity. Baby, I just can't stand to see you happy. More than that, I hate to see you sad. Oh, Vanity Six. Vanity. Yeah, so Vanity was the lead singer of Vanity Six. And we discussed her in our Motley Crue episode as we well did. because when she broke up with Prince, she started dating Nikki Six the bass player and foundation of Motley Crue. Yep. It's a good bit in that episode about Prince sending her roses and Nikki Six seeing them. You should go check it out. He gave this song to Wendy and Lisa in 1983 and told them to finish it. Once they were fired and they heard the version that was on the album, yeah, they were jealous and angry because he had taken all of their stuff out of it and morphed it into something different. 
This song I love. It's one of my favorite songs in the whole album. It's still got the the drum machine in there, which is not my favorite. I mean, it's not that I don't like a drum machine in songs from time to time, but I, I kind of wish, especially on this song, that he would have had an actual drum a, a drum set going. It feels like a revolution song to me. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that it was about vanity. When she heard the song, yeah, she was not happy. <laughs> Stories are life, though, right? She is beautiful and crazy. Moving on to the Fourth single. Song called I Can Never Take the Place of Your Man. So now this song, you have the real drum set, right? I mean this is old school prints to me. This is not this is this is straight off of you know what this is? This is like Manic Monday. That's what this, I mean, yeah. this song has a real similar vibe yeah, yeah. to Manic Monday. I can see that. Yeah, this is very much mid-80s Prince as opposed to late-80s Prince. This is my favorite song in the album. Yeah. It's a it's a big hit in early 88. This was on Dream Factory and then in Crystal Ball. Uh-huh. But this song was written and recorded in 1979. Back when he's just starting 20, yeah, just right? first album, yeah. And I listen to that version of the song. Yeah. It's there, but it's not the pop masterpiece that this one is. Yeah, it's not the polished version that this is. It's I, I enjoy this song. I probably like Manic Monday a little bit better than this song, but I still say that this is a decent song. Oh so. my gosh, I love this song. The guitar solo on this, I adore. He'll play a piece and then he'll mirror it. And yeah. then he'll play a piece and then he'll mirror it. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, I love it. Yeah. It's a dueling duet. Yes. Thing. Yeah. I, yeah. Fancy good. trick. Fancy trick. Check this trick out. Check this trick out. Jordan Knight has a cover of this song. The guy from the New Kids on the Block. The Goo Goo Dolls have a, have a cover of this song that's pretty good. Okay. Love it. Love it. Love it. My favorite song in the whole album. All right. All right. Take the needle off. Flip it over. Side four. Right. And we start off with a song called The Cross. Okay. I don't want to talk too much over this because this is my favorite song on the album. This song is so moving, so powerful. Black day stormy night no love no hope inside don't cry he is coming don't die without knowing the cross builds in such an epic way. I mean, you're literally, you're starting with single note playing on the guitar, which moves into strumming, which moves into strumming with him singing. And it's such a passionate song. And as it builds, you have layer that gets added and it comes in. By the time you get to the end, that you can tell that the tempo has increased in the song. You've got a crunching guitar. You've got this big crescendo. And as I'm sitting here listening to this, you know, I told you I didn't have this album. I listened to this the first time 
while we're getting ready for this. And I'm just, I'm in awe. I'm, I'm just blown away at how good this song is. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, this is like seven, seeing the future, right? And I'm thinking to myself, this is so good. This is so much like that song that I love because Seven's one of my favorite songs as well. And then he ends the song and it's got that harmony, that very specialized harmony that he starts off Seven with. And so it's just, I would love to hear how have this song end and how it transition into Seven. I have to think that he had to do that when they did their live show. He had to have done a version of The Cross followed by Seven because it just fits too perfectly. Okay. Okay. Um, I like it a little bit. This is a great song. This is a great song. I saw a music writer talk about this song and said that if churches would play songs like this, they would have more people in the pews. This was a Sunday song. All right. So, so he was very contemplative on Sundays. Yep. And she she said when he, she heard this one for the first time, she's like, "Well, he's feeling guilty about something." <laughs> right. Yeah, that was that was his deal. He would feel guilty about the sex songs and then he'd go write a God song. <laughs> also, uh, in regards to this song, depending on when you hear him play, uh-huh. he either sings it as the cross or the Christ. Oh, wow. Kind of interesting. Yeah, that's impressive. This was originally on Dream Factory. We both love this song. Absolutely, yeah. All right, moving on to a song called It's Gonna Be a Beautiful Night. has a very more stay in the time feel about it. I can totally see them popping and sliding along and doing their little dance as they uh, are playing this song. It's got jazz feel to it. And it's so, oh, I love this song. This is this is one where you just, you would be excited to be in the crowd because everybody would be having fun as the song is going. Totally, totally. This was a live recording in Paris, August 25th, 1986. I love that they do the O-E-O <laughs> from uh, Wizard of Oz. It's awesome. O-E-O. O-E-O. You get a lot more horns in this song. Uh-huh. You get a little bit of Eric Leeds on that. Saxophone. Yep. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> Whatever that thing is. That thing with the long <laughs> horn and the gold. Hey, what a hey. So, I-, I love this song. A lot of fun. Yeah. Like it. Yeah. Okay. Finally, the last song in the album. Song called Door. What do you think? I know you're going to think I hate this song, but I actually kind of like it a little bit. 
I, I dig it a little bit more. I can't tell you what is different about the Slow Love song because they both have that same kind of feel, but this one's just a little bit more catchy to me. I don't know what to say. It's got some soul to it. It's, it's got some very, passion to it. It's very soulful for sure, but I, I like it a lot. I do. Okay. This song, in 2009, Essence Magazine listed this as one of their 25 best slow jams of all time. Mm. In 2010, users of AOL Radio voted Adore the number two best Prince song. What? Number two. Well, okay, that's going a bit far, I would say. Yeah. Who said that? Users of AOL Radio. So what, like three guys? I don't know who these guys were. (laughs) First of all, this isn't the second best song in this album. (laughs) Actually, it's not the second best song on the side of the album. album. (laughs) (laughs) There's three songs, it's the third best. Oh my goodness. Uh, It's good though, I like it. Yeah. And it's soulful, it's not really my thing, but it's good, man. I like it. All right. So, that's the end of the album. That's the end of the album. They released the album, and so we talked about how the way things were supposed to go was album tour, album tour, album tour, right? Yes. And so he toured this album afterwards. Yes. He never toured it in the U.S. Never came to the U.S. It was strictly Europe. And he did some specialized show, like he did some shows in Denmark. He felt like the American audience didn't appreciate where he was going with his music. And he was probably right. Right. Whereas the European audience did. So it was all, all his tour was in Europe. How are you the tour manager on this thing? And Prince comes to you and says, hey, you know how we were going to go tour all those states in the United States? Erase that and put all the stuff we've already done back in again because we're going to do Europe some more. And that's right. Right. I just want to do Europe. Yeah. And then... After that tour, yeah. in 1988, he releases Love Sexy, moving right on to the next thing. Yep. 1988, Love Sexy. Yep. And then, of course, in 89, we get the Batman soundtrack. Right. So I, my neighbor, Gautier, he was in France at this oh, time, yeah. right? Uh-huh. He saw, the, he saw the show. He got to see the Sign of the Times show. Sweet. And he loves Prince, loves this album. We sat, it was one of my listen-throughs on this, is we sat and listened to this song. And then, of course, we sat and listened to Joshua Tree after that, and he was like, oh, my gosh, this is so hard. <laughs> I don't know how to decide which of these is better. But the I just wanted to say what a typical set list, just so you can kind of paint the picture in your head. Typical set list for the Sign of the Times tour, they would start the show with Sign of the Times, which is completely appropriate. Yep. Great beginning song. Yep. Then they would play Play in the Sunshine. Yes, Little Red Corvette, Housequake, Girls and Boys. Then they play Slow Love, Bring It Down, Slow Love. Yep. Then they do I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man. Then they would do Hot Thing, Now's the Time, which just as a drum solo, uh, which is a Charlie Parker song. Okay. They would do You Got the Look. Then they do If I Was Your Girlfriend, Let's Go Crazy, When Doves Cry, and they would... In the middle of that song, play the la 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 he 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 thing that we played before. Purple Rain and 1999. It's a pretty good concert, man. Man, I would have loved. I I mean, if only I was in Europe at the time. That would have been amazing. Their encore for encore number one, Forever in My Life, Kiss, The Cross. (sighs) Dude, I'd be losing my mind at that show. And encore two, 
it's going to be a beautiful night. What a great way to finish out a fantastic set. What a great show that would have been wow. to see. Well, that brings us to the end of Sign of the Times. If you're still with us, <laughs> that means that you loved what we have to say. And I would like to ask you, will you please go to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Shirley podcast, all one word, and you can become an executive producer of one of our shows. You can also receive high quality Bluetooth waterproof headphones. And if you keep going up tiers, you can receive, I'm drinking out of it right now. There it is right there. I'm drinking out of my custom engraved stainless steel cup. And finally, if you, if you do top tier, you get to pick a show that we do. I mean, that's pretty, that's right. pretty good. Yeah. Heck yeah. 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 But we really do. We appreciate the support that you guys have given us all year long. We're excited to be finishing strong, excited for what next season holds. And we can't wait to bring you guys part two of this comparison. We're going to be back with you two, Joshua Tree, another amazing amazing album from 1987 i so, think those two were released within like a month just a few weeks of each other so. yeah yeah so anyway join us here next week we'd love a five-star review hit us up on twitter or facebook and we'll see you next time